Chapter Twenty Five of Marjorie Dean, High School Freshman by Pauline Lester. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ashley Jane. Chapter Twenty Five Marjorie Dean to the Rescue. By one o'clock that afternoon, nineteen something had assembled at the big elm tree on the river road which had been chosen as a meeting place. The flower hunters had planned to follow the road for a mile to a point where a boathouse, which had a small tea shop connected with it, was situated. Owing to the continued spring weather, the proprietor had opened the place earlier than usual, and it was decided that the picnickers should make this their headquarters, returning there for tea when they grew tired of roaming the neighbouring woods. Marjorie Dean had not hailed the prospect of nineteen-somethings picnic with enthusiasm. She did not welcome the idea of coming into close contact with the little knot of freshmen that were loyal to Mignon LaSalle's interests. However, it would be a pleasure to walk in the fresh spring woods and gather flowers, so she started for the rendezvous that afternoon, determined to have the best kind of a time possible under the circumstances. She had promised to call for Jerry, but the latter, accompanied by Irma, met her halfway between the two houses. "'I thought you were never coming,' grumbled the stout girl, in her characteristic fashion. "'I've heard those words before,' giggled Marjorie. "'Haven't you, Irma?' "'Something very similar,' laughed Irma. Jerry grinned broadly. "'Shouldn't be surprised if you had,' she admitted. "'It's the first May I ever remember that it hasn't rained. "'I hope the weather doesn't change its mind and pour before we get home.' "'Don't speak of it,' cautioned Irma superstitiously. You'll bring rain down upon us if you do. May is a weepy month, you know. Weeps or no weeps, I suppose we'll have the pleasure of seeing our dear friends Mignon and Muriel today. I could weep for that, growled Jerry resentfully. Arrived at the elm tree, the girls found the majority of their classmates already there. To Marjorie's secret disgust, Marcia Arnold was among the number of upper-class girls chosen to chaperone the picnickers. "'Mignon's work,' confided Jerry as she caught sight of Marcia. "'I hope she falls into the river and gets a good wetting,' she added with cheerful malice. "'Jerry!' expostulated Irma in horror. "'You mustn't say such awful things.' "'I didn't say I'd hope she'd get drowned,' flung back Jerry. "'I'd just like to see her get a good ducking.' It was impossible not to laugh at Jerry, who, encouraged by their laughter, made various other uncomplimentary remarks about the offending junior. The picnic party set out for the boathouse with merry shouts and echoing laughter. The quiet air rang with the melody of school songs welling from carefree young throats as the crowd of rollicking girls tramped along the river road. Spring had not been niggardly with her flower wealth, and gracious smiling May trailed her pink and white skirts over carpets of living green. 
starred with hepaticas and spring beauties, while from under clusters of green-brown leaves the trailing abertus lifted its shy, delicate face to peep out, the loveliest messenger of spring. The girls pounced upon the fragrant clumps of blossoms and began an enthusiastic filling of baskets. Held captive by the lure of the waking woods, the time slipped by unnoticed, and it was after four o'clock before the majority of the flower-hunters turned their steps toward the boathouse. Mignon LaSalle, Muriel Harding, Marcia Arnold, and half a dozen girls who were worshipful admirers of the French girl soon found flower-gathering decidedly monotonous. "'Let's hurry out of these stupid woods,' proposed Mignon. "'My feet are damp, and I'm sure I saw a snake a minute ago.' "'Let's go canoeing,' proposed Muriel Harding, as they came in sight of the boathouse. "'The very thing,' exulted Mignon. "'Let me see. There are nine of us. That will be three in a canoe. I'll hire the canoes and tell the man to send the bill to my father.' With quick cat-like springs she ran lightly down the bank, across the road, and disappeared into the boathouse. Ten minutes later three canoes floated on the surface of the river, swollen almost to the banks by April's frequent tearful outbursts. Mignon stood on the shore and gave voluble orders as the girls cautiously took seats in the bobbing craft. "'Get in, Marcia!' she commanded, pointing to the third canoe. Marcia obeyed with nervous expressions of fear. An hour later, from a little slope just inside the woods, Marjorie and her friends, who had reluctantly directed their steps toward the boathouse, glimpsed the returning canoeing party through the trees. The canoers had lifted their voices in song, and Marcia Arnold, forgetful of her fears, was singing as gaily as the rest. "'It's dangerous to go canoeing now,' commented Jerry judiciously. "'The river's too high.' "'Can you swim?' asked Irma, irrelevantly of Marjorie. "'Yes,' nodded Marjorie. "'I won a prize at the seashore last year for—' A sharp, terror-freighted scream rang out. The eyes of the trio were instantly fastened upon the river, where floated an overturned canoe with two girls struggling near it in the water. They saw the one girl strike out for shore, and unheeding her companion's wild cries, swim steadily toward the river bank. "'Oh!' gasped Marjorie. Then she darted down the slope, scattering the flowers from her basket as she ran. At the river's edge she threw aside her sweater and, sitting down on the ground, tore off her shoes. Poising herself on the bank, she cut the water in a clean, sharp dive and an instant later came up not far from Marcia Arnold, who was making desperate efforts to keep afloat. A few skilful strokes and she had reached the now sinking secretary's side. Slipping her left hand under Marcia's chin she managed to keep her head above water and support her with her left arm while she struck out strongly for shore with her right. 
The water was very cold, but the distance was short, and Marjorie felt herself equal to her task. To the panic-stricken girls on shore it seemed hours, instead of not more than ten minutes, before Marjorie reached the bank with her burden. Willing hands grasped Marcia, who, with unusual presence of mind for one threatened by drowning, had tried to lighten Marjorie's brave effort to rescue her. Once on dry land, she dropped back unconscious, while Marjorie clambered ashore, little disturbed by her wetting. It was Jerry, however, who now rose to the occasion. Marjorie Dean, she ordered, go into that tea shop this minute. I'm going to my house to get you some dry clothes. I'll be back in a little while. Marjorie allowed herself to be led into the back room of the little shop where Marcia was already being divested of her wet clothing. Fifteen minutes afterward, the two girls sat garbed in voluminous wrappers belonging to the boat tender's wife, sipping hot tea. Marjorie smiled and talked gaily with her admiring classmates, but Marcia sat white and silent. Suddenly a girl entered the room and pushed her way through the crowd of girls to Marcia's side. It was Muriel Harding. "'How do you feel, Marcia? she asked tremulously. "'I'm all right now,' quavered Marcia. Muriel turned impulsively to Marjorie and, bending down, kissed her cheek. "'You are a brave, brave girl, Marjorie Dean, and I hope some day I'll be worthy of your friendship.' Then she turned and fairly ran from the room. Before Marjorie could recover from her surprise, Jerry's loud, cheerful tones were heard outside. "'Here's a whole wardrobe,' she proclaimed, setting down two suitcases with a flourish. "'I came back in our car, and as soon as you girls are dressed, I'll take you home, and as many more as the car will hold,' she added genially. It was a triumphant little procession that marched to the spot where the Mace's huge car stood ready. As Marjorie put her foot on the step, a girl's voice called out, Three cheers for Marjorie Dean! And the car glided off in the mists of a noisy but heartfelt ovation. They were well down the road when Marjorie felt a timid hand upon hers. Marcia Arnold's eyes looked penitently into her own. "'Will you forgive me, Marjorie?' she said, almost in a whisper. "'I've been so hateful.' "'Don't ever think of it again,' comforted Marjorie, patting the other girl's hand. "'I must think of it,' returned Marcia earnestly. "'I... I can't talk about it now.' "'But may I come to see you tomorrow afternoon? "'I have something to tell you.' "'Come by all means,' invited Marjorie. "'I must say good-bye now. "'Here we are at my house. "'I hope Mother won't be too much alarmed when I tell her. "'I'll have to explain Jerry's clothes. "'They are not quite a perfect fit, as you can see.' "'Marcia held the young girl's hand between her own.' I'll come to see you at three o'clock tomorrow afternoon. Maybe I can show you then how deeply I feel what you did for me today. I wonder what she is so mysterious over, 
thought Marjorie as she ran up the steps. I never dreamed that she and I would be friends. And Muriel, too. How perfectly dear she was. But... Marjorie stopped short in the middle of the veranda. What do you suppose became of Mignon? End of chapter 25 Recording by Ashley Jane